Awesome. How are we doing this weekend, Faith Promise? Woo! Was that worship off the chain or what? Man, that was incredible. What a set. Man, I love that. Michelle and I love you. We're thrilled that you're with us. Welcome to all of our campuses, wherever and whenever you're listening to this message. I'm so thrilled about this series. I was so looking forward to it. And this is the last message. So many people have gained victory over all the feels, emotions, and it's incredible, the revelation, impartation, the freedom people are gaining. And, and so emotions, one of the things that we all realize is that our emotions wanna have control, right? And when emotions are on the throne, it opens the door for Satan for access, for opportunity to steal, to kill, to rob, and to destroy. So if you missed any of the messages of all the feels, I wanna challenge you, go back, download them, podcast, website, it's all free, because it is vital for your victory in the war that's raging with your emotions, because right here's where we win it or lose it. And we know the will of God for us from the scriptures, John 10, 10, I gave him to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. So we have two choices. Follow Jesus and experience the abundant life, or we can still follow Jesus, but allow the thief of emotions and the enemy to rob, steal, kill, and destroy all of our joy and peace and victory. Now, here's the deal. It is up to you. You get to choose who's going to be Lord over your heart, who's going to be Lord over your mind. Will it be Jesus, Scripture, faith, or will it be emotions that rule? So I'm going to take a story an experience in Israel's history, because I hate to say story, because that makes it seem like, well, is it true or not? It's absolutely historically accurate. It is true. And so it's in 1 Kings 18 and 19. If you've been around church any length of time, you have heard this incredible, uh, incredible experience of the prophet Elijah. In context, God has raised Elijah up, one of the greatest prophets in Israel. The king Ahab and the evil queen Jezebel are ruling Israel. They have led the people away from Jehovah God, away from the Bible, away from the commandments to follow Baal and to follow the idol of the Asherah. So they are worshiping idols. They, so sin is ruling the land. The political powers are corrupt. Everybody's fighting for power and control, source of likes today. In the middle of that, Elijah rises up. He goes to the king and the queen. He said, listen, are y'all gonna repent and turn back to Job? But they said, no, nope, we worship Baal. Then he said, okay, God has spoken to me. It's not gonna rain for three years or until I say so. Now, how many people believe that's what was gonna happen? Nobody. But three years later, it hasn't rained. Elijah, Elijah has been in the wilderness, being supernaturally cared for, and Israel is falling apart. Most of the livestock is dead. Most of the sheep are dead. Most of the horses and cattle are dead. There's no food because now it hasn't rained for three years. There's a famine in the land, and it is horrible. Elijah is public enemy number one. He's the number one on the FBI 10 most wanted list because now they're blaming Elijah when it's actually the, it's actually the people's fault for worshiping a false god and rejecting the true God. So Elijah comes back in the middle of that, and he says, all right, I'm gonna have a contest. We're gonna meet on Mount Carmel. It's an incredibly beautiful mountain range in Israel overlooking Armageddon where the last great battle will be fought. So he says, all the prophets of Baal come 
450, the prophets of the Ashram, 400, and me, 850 to one. You guys do a sacrifice, I'll do a sacrifice, and whichever God answers by fire, that will be the true God. The prophets of Baal said, we're in. The people of Israel, we're in. And so, and so Elijah says, you guys go first. So they build an altar, they kill an animal, and they start praying. And 30 minutes goes by, an hour goes by, two hours, no fire. Nobody is now paying attention. And Elijah begins to taunt the prophets of Baal. I love Elijah because he has a spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so he says, hey, Baal's probably in the bathroom. Yell louder. Baal's gone on a journey. Scream longer. They start cutting themselves. They're, they're engaged in all kind of worship. They're just missing because they're worshiping the wrong God. After hours, nobody noticed it's time for evening sacrifice. Elijah said, my turn. He builds an altar God's way. He sacrifices the animal, and then he dumps all his water on it. Now, water is now at this point more precious than gold because there's just not any. It covers the wood with water, covers the sacrifice, the trench around it's all soaking wet. And he says, okay, God, show him who's God. Boom, big fall from heaven of fire, lands, consumes the, uh, the sacrifice, the wood, the water, and the people fall on their faces and they said, Jehovah, he is God, Jehovah, he is God. Revival's breaking out. Elijah pulls his sword out, kills all 850 prophets. So the people have turned to God, the wicked king and queen are furious, and the people are worshiping God. Pretty good day for the prophet, wouldn't you say? I mean, he has won. And within 30 minutes, he goes from his greatest victory to four verses later, suicidal and depressed. Is that crazy? But the fact of the matter is, we can all go from the mountaintops of victory to the valleys of the shadow of death and depression in an instant, can't we? So what happens? The enemy is always waiting to enter. Now, Satan lost the challenge on the top of Mount Carmel. He lost, but Satan is relentless. And so he didn't beat the prophet there, but he beat the prophet through depression. Last year's survey of young adults, one out of four young adults in America considered contemplated suicide last year. Now, I'm gonna put a caveat here. I wanna help you. I wanna be very honest. I want you to really key in and don't miss this because you will leave this message covered with guilt and shame if you don't get this point. So if you're listening, say I am. All right. If you are struggling with persistent depression, which is going to be clinical, this sermon is not for you. You need to go to a doctor. <clears throat> we have licensed, uh, trained professional counselors for people who attend regularly. But if you're struggling, and about 20% of all depression is clinical, that means you're, the, the levels of serotonin, epinephrine, the joy juice in your brain that gives you energy and happiness is depleted, and the only way to fix that is through medication. Now, here's the problem. If you are living persistently depressed, you feel like you should just snap out of it. And, and that is so wrong, it's ridiculous. Would you look at someone who is struggling with stage four cancer and say, would you just snap out of that cancer? Would you ever do that? 
Would you say, why would you take medicine? Just snap out of it. Or high blood pressure, whatever. But we look at someone who has got a medical condition that causes depression, and we treat that differently than every other physical condition. If that's you, see a professional. The rest of this message is not for you, okay? Now, now who this message is for is the 80% of people who depression is through lifestyle and choices, not through a lack of a lack of the levels being exactly right in your brain. I'm talking to people who are living a lifestyle that God didn't create them for. So, so for that's that's the bulk of us. We're disconnected. This is the disconnected generation. We got more friends on Facebook, more likes on TikTok and Pinterest, but we have never been less connected than we are today. Because can I tell you something? Likes on Facebook and likes on your birthday on, fa- on, you know, on, a, on a social media is not connection. It's a button on a computer screen. So you feel like, well, I got all these friends. I should feel better. No, that's not connection. You got to look at somebody, touch somebody, hug somebody, be with somebody. Are you with me? And so... We now don't trust families because the families are falling apart. Now, we don't even know what the definition of a family actually is in America anymore. Come on. So, so especially in adults, but we don't trust family. We don't trust the government. We don't trust the church because we've seen so many moral failures in its leaders. We don't trust corporations. So we've disconnected from everything because there's not anything we think we can trust. Then in the midst of that, we're the comparison generation like never before. We get on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and and we compare everybody else's highlight reels to our everyday life. Do you think somebody's gonna walk after a busy week when they haven't washed the dishes for five days and the garbage is overflowing, are you with me? Into the floor, you think they're gonna scan that, say, hey, check it out, I can clean the kitchen in four or five days, God stinks like dog crap in here. No, after it's been dirty for a week, they're going to clean it up and say, look, check out my shiny new kitchen. And you're going to look at your dog, your dog crap kitchen and say, God, how come mine's never clean? Does this make sense? Yard, houses, cars, everything. We compare. By the way, just in case you didn't, haven't read it in the last year, the bulk of the social media gurus have been on an apology tour forever creating them. See, we could, but we never asked if we should. The, most of the creators and the gurus of social media do not allow their children on social media because they now have seen the damage. Because what, what we do is many of us, I'm going to give you a new word. It was new for me, rumination. We have these ruminating thoughts, and social media makes it worse Ruminating is where a cow or a cud-chewing animal chews, swallows, brings it back up, chews, swallows, brings it back up, chews, swallows. We do that with thoughts called rumination. Ruminating thoughts are excessive and intrinsic thoughts about negative experiences and negative feelings. And don't we go over them and over and over them, over them and over them and over them until we depress ourselves? See, Elijah thought the warfare was on Mount Carmel. The real warfare was in his emotions. That's where it was. So how did Elijah escape? I'm gonna give you five things that God did with Elijah, but I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna camp out on two. The others I'm gonna hit briefly, 
And here, let me just tell you before we get there, I'm going to give you number two, and you're going to say, amen, pastor. That is exactly right, and 90 plus percent of us will never do it. You're going to say, that's right. What you said is biblical, it's right, no question. I'm just not ever going to do it. Are you with me? Because that's what we do in American church. We go to church that's so good. We're never doing it, but it was so good. Isn't that right? So what happens? You know, we pick it up in verse four. Now remember, he's just had his greatest day and, re and revival is breaking out. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verse four. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness because the Queen Jezebel said, I'm killing you. He just killed 850 to one. He's just prayed fire down from heaven, miraculous. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might what? Die. God, kill me. I'm done. Kill me. Kill me. Kill me. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under the juniper tree. This is number one. Behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said, arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a, 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 a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate, he drank, and he lay down and slept. The angel of the Lord came to him a second time, touched him, and woke him up. Arise and eat, for the journey is too difficult for you. And he rose and he ate and he drank. He went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. First thing he did, sleep, eat, sleep, eat. Sleep, eat, sleep, eat. You know, the reason most of us can't control our emotions is because we're just too stinking tired. We don't eat right. We eat fast food. It's not really food, but we eat it. Come on, somebody. And we don't sleep enough. And we, how many of you get in the morning and say, I'm so tired? That's how you start your day. Not, whoa! Hallelujah! Devil, you better back up because I'm up. Well, you get up and say, golly, bum, I'm so tired. It's going to be a terrible day. Is that right? Come on, let's be raw and real. And we don't have enough strength for the journey, so we live tired. And when you are tired, you are easy prey for the devil. You've allowed yourself to walk tired. When does the devil attack? He attacked Jesus after 40 days of fasting and prayer when the Bible said Jesus was hungry and he was tired. That's when the devil. See, God created our bodies and he knows what our bodies require. So is God smarter than us? And God said, work six days and do what on the seventh? Rest. Most of us work seven days. Seven days. And used to, year, years ago, you got up when the sun came up, you worked till it got dark, you ate and you did what? You went to bed and you slept all night. Now we got lights so we can get up hours before the sun and we can work hours after the sun is gone because we got to work, work, work so we're tired. We don't eat right. Our bodies don't have the food. These bodies are a treasure of God. Are y'all with me? Listen, I'm building a 66 Corvette right now. It's got a 427 in it, and it will not run on regular gas. It won't operate. It requires high test, high octane to fire that big monster up. And you are a hot rod. You need octane. You got to eat good and rest. Is anybody out there? Would your life be better if you just did that? So living tired is paramount to giving your emotions the lordship and free reign in your life. 
And because, and I'm going to tell you why we do it. Because we think if we're busy, we're important. Well, I'm important. Look at my calendar. No, means you're dumb. You... <laughs> Being busy doesn't mean you're important. Are you with me? The Bible says it's vain to rise early and work till late at night and eat the bed of painful, painful labor for God will make you rich while you sleep. Do what you do well. Come on. Does this make sense? So now number two, never gonna get through this message, y'all. Not listening fast enough. So verse nine, he came to a cave and lodged there. And that's where we hide in the cave. We gotta come out of the cave and experience God. And the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's already told God, kill me, right? What are you doing here? And he said, I've been zealous for the Lord of hosts, the sons of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. I'm the only godly man left. And they're going to kill me. He's ruminating over and over. He's just confirming his wrong thoughts. I'm the only godly guy left. I'm the only one. Everybody else is heathens, man. I'm the only one. So he said, go forth to stand on the mountain and before the Lord. And the Lord was passing by. Great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces of rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Elijah heard it, wrapped his face in his mouth like a shawl. He knows God is coming, so he covers his face. And he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? He again, I've been very zealous. I'm the only guy. Everybody's forsaken you. They've torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I let them left and they seek my life. See, so just ruminating, ruminating. So the number two thing, when you are defeated, when you are discouraged, when you're depressed, you've got to encounter God. Now I'm finishing a book for you about the 13 doors you access God, but one of the greatest doors of accessing God is worship. I'm not just talking about the weekend or when even in your small group. I'm talking about private. Because see, what does Elijah do? He keeps negative self-talk. We've got to learn to speak by faith and quit cursing ourselves. Are you with me? Come on, that's the golf clap. You don't really mean that. Come on. Man, you got to quit. Well, I always get sick. Come on, amen. I went and got my second COVID shot, and the nurse said, well, you know, the second COVID shot is worse than the first, you'll probably be sick. I said, not hardly. I said, you're not gonna give me that shot until, I'm not gonna get sick. Actually, this is gonna be way easier than the first shot. I said, really? I said, absolutely. I mean, you're not cursing me. <laughs> and I knew the nurse, because she used to be a neighbor at our last house. Actually, we bought the property from her. We built our last house on. I said, no way, man, I'm not gonna get sick. It's gonna be incredible. She said, I'm gonna go play golf tomorrow. Give that shot. So you gotta trust the word. So what, what through humility, Elijah, humility, wraps his face and he enters into the presence of the Lord. Here's the, here's the most important sentence I wanna give you. If you're listening, Sam, you can worship your way through the worst moments of your life. You can worship your way through the worst divorce, cancer, death, separation, financial ruin, <clears throat> because listen, I love you. Y'all believe I love you, Michelle and I? There's two things, no matter how deeply I love you, I cannot do for you. I cannot worship for you and I cannot fight the devil for you. I can intercede. You gotta do that for yourself. 
The apostle Paul said his eyes were on that thing, the things which were not seen. So God is about to give Elijah a new vision because vision, a vision of God restores our emotional health. Now, I wish I had time to, to really work this out. I can preach for an hour this weekend and not cover all I want to cover. And you say, preach on. Yeah, but you left your horrible children in the kids' ministry. <laughs> Are you with me? And you might want an hour, but they're saying, could you cut it short this weekend, Pastor? This guy Junior, and he's biting my leg right now. So, so, <laughs> so in, in the creation account, there are two different words, two different verbs for what God did. One is created, which means he created out of nothing, and the other is made, where he made things out of something. He created the earth, he made the trees. Are you with me? He created man, he made woman. And there's a relationship between that is created and that which is made. And when you take that which is created and that which is made and rip the intimacy, death begins to happen. What happens to a tree when you separate it from the earth? It begins to die. And it's just the same way with God. I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but when you lose your connection, your worship, you begin to die. This is where learning to worship, even in the worst days, will absolutely give you a weapon that most of us will never use. For we were created for connection with each other and with God. And without it, we will begin to die. So what happens is our emotions are engaged. They want to take control. And yet we realize, hey, my emotions are raging. And what's just happened to me is the most horrible thing that I could ever experience. So I'm going to go into my prayer closet. I'm going to get my iPhone and I'm going to hit my playlist of EP worship songs or heal songs or, or somebody that you love to worship and you are just going to stop and you are going to worship God. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. In the midst of the mess, when you begin to worship God, your problems begin to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. But let me, be, let me be real clear. All of us agree that's right, right? But how many of us are gonna do it? See, when a husband and wife are intimate, it produces life, which means another child. And so how can we tell that we've lost connection? Well, I'm, I just start asking God the question. So Lord, this message is coming up and how can people tell who promisers, who regular, how can they know? And God gave me a few things. Are you ready? I'm gonna give them to you. Number one, the word of God is not alive anymore. It's a dry, dusty book you read because you have to. Does that make sense? You know you've lost an intimate connection. The, you've lost the joy of worship publicly and privately. You've lost connection. Not your salvation, but connection. You haven't been convicted by any sin that you've done for a long time. Now, if you have been convicted of sin, there's two options. A, you're perfect. I'm probably not putting my money on option one. And B is you've lost connection, you're not hearing his voice. And one other, your time with God is just dry and stale. You do it because you have to. So the, the enter the enemy, enter depression, and what we've got to do is man, we just want to help you. Can you say in the midst of the most horrible circumstances, it is well with my soul? One of the great hymns of, of, of long ago, Horatio Spafford wrote that, his wife and his children were on a ship crossing from, the, uh, from USA to Europe, crossing, 
The ship went down, his whole family drowned. He got on the next ship, he told the captain, when you get where that ship went down and my wife and children drowned, please come get me. They came, got him. Mr. Mr. Spafford, this is the closest we know to where your family drowned in the depths of this sea. He looked over the rail of that ship. He thought about his wife he loved. He thought about his children that were absolutely dear to him. And he looked out there and he began to think about God and he went to his stateroom and he said, when sorrows like sea billows roll, thou hast taught me to say, whatever my lot, it is well, it is well with my soul. I can worship through the worst moments of my life. Now here's a problem. When you don't want to worship is when you need to worship the most. That's why we don't do it. So I was, again, a golf clap, thank you so much. So (laughs) Michelle is an extraordinarily gifted worship leader. She loves God. She has got a great voice. And and she was really bummed out a couple months ago and I was in the barn and I text her. The Lord spoke to me and I text her, Michelle, when you, when you, she had been to the gym and she works out for both of us. And <laughs> I said, when you get back, I take a shower, go sit down at the piano and worship your way through this. But I'm gonna tell you, as much as Michelle loves God and loves to worship, it's the last thing she wanted to do. Are y'all with me? That's why I say we all agree, but we simply, most of us are not gonna do it. Does this make sense? Would your life be better if you begin to do this, worship your way through the worst moments. I'm gonna just rapidly give you the last three. I got one minute and 29 seconds. That clock is from hell. So, <laughs> and listen, when I get done, I mean, when I go over the letters, turn the, the numbers turn red. It's the devil's color. It's Alabama's color, come on. So, I'm sorry, I slipped out, I'm so sorry, sorry. Apologize, apologize. Here's the deal. Let me give you three things, the last three. Number three, God, God renewed Elijah's, Elijah's identity. You're my man, you're my prophet. Go back and anoint Jehu, the, the, the new king of Aram. Or Hazael, the new king of Aram. See, our identity's in Christ. When your identity, your number one identity is in Jesus, not you're a biker, not you're a hunter, not you're a doctor, a dentist, a day laborer, not that you're a shopper or a painter or a yard worker, that your identity is in Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a child of the King. I'm an overcomer. I'm a victor. I'm highly favored. I am well blessed. I will not let the devil have my joy. He will not have my peace. God is though, 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 though you slay me, I will praise you. God, you are big. My problem is nothing. Part the Red Sea, heal the sick, raise the dead. Oh God, you are worthy along with the angels and the cherubim. I will bow my heart. I will surrender. Lord God, you are over all and through all and in all. Oh God, consume me, saturate and dominate my, woo, come on somebody. My mercy, mercy. Because see, so then number four, he gave him, I could preach all day on this, a whole sermon on each, on, on each of the five. Number four, he gave him a new vision. He said, go anoint Elisha, the next prophet after you. Go anoint him. He gave him all these things to do. He got a new assignment from God. And even our secular work can be meaningful. Victor Frankl, a survival of the Holocaust. 
the German prisoners of prisoner of war camps where they exterminated 6.5 million Jews learned in that camp the will to meaning, he called it. It's an incredible book by Viktor Frankl, Frankl. And he realized that in the worst circumstances imaginable on the planet, we can have a purpose and we can heal through our purpose. Are you with me? We're created to worship. We heal through purpose. Sigmund and Freud said we are healed through pleasure. How's that working for us? And then number five, he connected with Elisha. 19 through 21 of chapter 19, he anoints Elisha, throws his mantle over him, come and follow me. And Elisha left his family and he went with Elijah and we never hear one word for the rest of the life of Elijah of suicide or depression because he quit doing life alone. He started doing life with somebody else. Listen, beware of processing your emotions in your life in a vacuum alone. Let me, give you, let me give you some help right here. You're not gonna like this, so I'm gonna tell you anywhere. You ready? If you're gonna say I am, if you don't let anybody speak into your life, the older you get, the crazier and more right you're gonna be, and nobody's gonna wanna be around you. You'll die old and alone with no friends because nobody gets to speak into your life. Are you with me? So don't process alone. And so when debilitating emotions wash over you, you can worship your way through, you can connect to the one who has all the power and ability. The next time you experience all the highs and all the lows of all the feels, let me challenge you to turn the one who is faithful. God, in this moment, would you open our eyes? God, would you connect with our hearts? Father, we know that, that we're not gonna wanna do this when we need to do it the most. And so the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So God, would you give us a desire? Would you teach us even now before the worst moments to worship in private, to experience you, to know where to plug into the power source? God, open our hearts in Jesus' name. The words of Coalette, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Empty, vanity, useless. It's all worthless. What is there to gain from all my labor? Generations come and generations go, yet the pains of this earth remain forever. Nothing new under the sun. What has been done is what will be done. The crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking won't be made complete. Dig a pit and fall into it. Cut a rock and have it fall and crush. All of my days are empty and hollow. Is there no deliverance from this emptiness that strangles us? When it feels like the dark lingers longer than the night. When the shadows fill like Are you chasing me now? Tell me where could I run from your life? Where could I hide? Hymns within your precious thought. 
I see the tears of the oppressed, yet no one's a comfort. Another weary day, another drop in the ocean. I wake to vanity, I lie down to vanity. Everything I put my hand to is like chasing the wind. Why should I go on striving like this? To expect anything different feels like madness. Every day, a loop on repeat, a handful of pills, another stream running to the sea that is never filled. You think, you think I would choose to feel this way? To everything there is a season, or so you say. Weeping and rejoicing seems a lot more like the last. I am more than done with mourning. I'm ready for this nightmare to pass. Should I let summer highs make my bed up on the down? Your mercy waits at every end. I can't plan God's too good to let us go. Even when we think he's not with us, when we're in the midst of the storm, there he's the closest. But we don't feel God in the storm, do we? And there lies the rub. We're back putting feelings on the throne. Faith that we know God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
When God's goal is in the furnace, which is you, his hand is on the thermostat and he gets in the fire with us. So what do we do? We worship our way through the most difficult moments of our lives. Now, maybe you're here and you say, I'd love to be able to do that. But see, if you're not born again, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, intimacy is not possible with someone that you don't have a relationship with. So relationship or salvation begins and then intimacy is developed as we connect to the vine, as we abide in Him, as we worship. It's not about being religious. We don't, we don't come to God that way. He said, for salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And those that receive that gift, the next verse is, says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained that we should walk in, i.e. the vision and purpose that gives us joy in difficulty, but salvation is the beginning. So if you're ready to turn your life over, Jesus said, come to me, but you have to repent. And repent's a Bible term that just means do a 180. I've been doing life this way, doing what I want, I'm gonna make a 180 and I'm gonna do what he wants. I'm taking emotions off the throne and I'm making Jesus Lord of all of my life. That's why he said, if you love me, you obey me. It's not cheap grace of salvation. I just wanna go to heaven but do whatever I want. This just doesn't work that way. So if you're ready to begin this relationship, the door of heaven is open. So come on, God behind bars and online in our campuses with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna lead us in a simple confessional prayer. Just pray this, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know we're separated. I'm so sorry. I'm ready to follow you. Receive your gifts. I choose you to be my Lord. 